on the way to the top floor. I ain't selling out though, but I'm on the way. Got a lot of real, must motivate. Hold all the moves, I'ma put in play. On the way. Motivation for all the real ones, On the way. On the way. To the big check. You ain't know I'm up next till I'm on the way. You ain't take risks cause you too afraid. I'ma just eat till I'm overweight. On the way. On the way. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. I am your host, Xavier Miller. Sitting here with my co-host, Deanna Kent, as usual. And uh, today, just to get right into it, today we have another another super special guest. This guy, he's on fire now. I I see him, somebody reposting or or, or reposting or retweeting to retagging his stuff, like literally like every single day. And and it's dope because the information he's putting out there is super dope and he's, he's making you think. He's making our community think forward, so I, I, I really love to see what he's doing out here. And he's the founder of Todd Capital Investment Club. He's also the founder of Todd Acquisitions, which they acquired uh, six rental properties in one year. And his name is Charles Oglesby, and y'all might know him as Todd Millionaire. Welcome to the show, bro. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, definitely. It's a, it's a, it's a definitely a pleasure, a pleasure for having you on. Like I said, I always. Uh, like I see somebody retweeting your stuff like every single oh, day, man, yeah. like, all day. <laughs> so it's like uh, I'm like, yeah, we we definitely got to do one with him, man. He's he giving out, he giving out game, game, man. But <laughs> just to just, but just to get right into it, so like, um, what was your root or like you being like uh so financially literate and so business minded? Like, what's what's the what's the root of that? Man, what's the root? <laughs> You know, I, I would say is this. When I was growing up, we always would drop around really nice neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're always going, like we were in San Diego, so we would always go to Del Mar. We would always hang out in La Jolla. We would always hang out in nice stores like Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom. Yeah. Yep. Always go to nice restaurants. And so it kicked in me. I was like, I really like this lifestyle. I want to be able to live like this. And so you have to then kind of reverse engineer that lifestyle. So I started seeing like, like I'll never forget one time we went to this boat dealership and I'm walking around the boat dealership and I asked the guy who was selling the boat, I was like, what kind of people buy these boats? He was like, oh, business owners, doctors, lawyers, those kind of people. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, all right. And so I, I was in San Diego again. And I was walking around because I always, there's this Grant Cardone quote. He says, shop outside of your reach. Yeah. I always shop outside of my reach. I never, and I, like, I was in Newport Beach and I was at the Rolls Royce dealership, walking around the Rolls Royce dealership, walking the Ferrari dealership. I always put myself in that environment because I know that's the life that I want. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I was in downtown LA. I was looking at this nice condo, nice penthouse, and I asked the lady the same thing. I was like, what kind of people own these kind of condos? And she told me, investors, business owners, professionals. And so it just kind of kicked a spark in me. And so from there, the ball starts turning. And then you get access to different books. You reach that poor dad, reach that poor dad, reach the other books other books other books other books and so it really was just seeing the lifestyle that i wanted and then trying to figure out how to get to that lifestyle and i think that's really what kicked off what sparked it and the spark is just growing into a whole bunch of different things mm, that's 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 very interesting because i definitely agree with like putting yourself at a place where even though you're not there like physically but putting yourself there mentally first mm-hmm. And then that's right. how it like manifests into the physical later. So that's 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 really dope. Was it a time like prior to that where you like, because I know me like before I became like really financially literate, I went through a phase where I was like really just wilding, 
like while like wilding out. So was it was did, did you go through a phase like that too? I would really say that my relationship with money didn't really mature until I matured. Mm. So it, it's really crazy because there's two different levels. There's like the aspiration to get a lot of money and there's the aspiration to be wealthy and there's two different things. And I got connected with a substantial Jewish real estate investor worth worth about 200 million, but he's worth a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I started to just get around him and I actually started to work for him for free. And I always tell people like work for free. I was working for free with the law degree, working for this guy because I needed to be connected to him. Yeah. And working with him, seeing him day to day, I realized the guy makes a lot of money, but he doesn't spend a lot of money. And so my relationship with money, I think, changed a little bit older than it should have. Because, I mean, there's there's phases. So, like, as I was growing, I was becoming less and less reckless. So, in my 20s, very reckless. Early 20s, very, very reckless. Um, very flashy. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was, um, like, 18, 19, 20 I had the I had a Honda Civic. I put rims on it. I had the beat on it. I was riding around with my windows rolled down, thinking <laughs> I was the man, wanted everybody to see me. Uh-huh. And <clears throat> I was at college, and these dudes jacked me. They like wow. broke into my car late at night, took my subs, took my deck, um, stripped the car. It was terrible. Wow. And so I realized like you can't be flashy. You have to if you want to keep your stuff. You can't be flashy. And so that was like one phase of me kind of being more mature about my money. The next phase was probably like mid-20s. And I started realizing like my spending has a large part of me not accumulating wealth because it's not a matter of you just making the money. You have to keep the money. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us focus on getting money, not keeping money. And so like I started to realize like, okay, I'm spending my money looking like money and that's why I don't have money. It's not that I'm not making money. It's not that I'm not earning money. I'm just letting it go out the door. Right. So that was in the next phase. And then I would say around now, my goal is you start doing deals just for the sake of doing deals. We're not even doing deals for the sake of spending the money. We're doing the deal because it's a good deal. It just happens to make us money. And then we just put that money to the side and take it to the side. So I think that my, my relationship and my knowledge on money has grown gradually. And now I'm at a point where it's just we're just doing good deals because it makes sense, not because it could potentially pay for a trip. Or it could potentially pay for some shoes, or potentially pay for some things. All right, the the long the long the long term mentality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would say so, but it's 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 not even really like a long term mentality. It's just a it's an investor mentality. We had this conversation on 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 episode ninety five where you do deals for the sake of doing deals. I was I'm listening to this book, um, the Robert uh, the Warren Buffett book. And he would literally, and I wasn't going to tell anybody this, but he would literally <laughs> buy businesses so he could invest harder. Not buying businesses so he can retire. He would buy businesses so that then he has $200 million to invest into this next opportunity. Mm. And so it's a different mindset. It's, 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 you're not getting money to buy things. You're getting money to have things. You're getting money to retain things. You're getting money so that you can acquire more things mm. for your family legacy. It's, it's, it's just a different mindset that I've grown into at this age. Because I've seen somebody who can literally make ten million dollars a year right. and still wear the same watch, yep. still wear the same shirt, mm-hmm. still drive the same car, and yep. just come to work like it's another, another day. Yeah, He's not like. Yep. 
that's 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 very that's very that, that's very true because uh like I, I always tell the story about how uh, I was in Silicon Valley and I met the, I met this dude that was worth two two hundred he was worth two hundred million people was telling me he was worth a hundred then some people were saying two hundred but I was saying like I didn't know until like after that I had the conversation with him while I was talking to him like nothing about his appearance gave off the impression that he had money at all. And then, and then, so he had like on a gray hoodie, just like a regular, uh, he had like a Coors Light t-shirt on. So I'm just think, talking to him thinking he's a regular guy. I leave the conversation and people are like, man, you know, like, you like you know who that is? He worth so-and-so. I'm like, really? I'm like, damn, that's crazy. So wh- wh- what would you what would you say is like what, what gets people to that mindset? Do you think it's just uh, maturing over time or is it just like, what do you think it is? I think it's the people that you're around. Okay. I really do. Mm-hmm. No matter what age you are, the reason why I was spending is because I was around spenders. The reason mm. why I was flashing was because I was around flashy people. And so I'll, I always tell people, one of the best things you could do, the reason why Ty Capital has been blowing up is because I went and I worked on weekends for a black business owner in, down there in Los Angeles. And there's something you get when you're around somebody all the time. And you see them go through good situations, bad situations, stressful situations, happy situations. And you see how they react versus if you just say, you're my mentor, let me call you once a week. Mm. It's not the same. And I did that twice. When I got out of law school, I said, okay, the next goal is net worth. And so I've told people like net worth is a new benchmarks. Net worth is a new degrees. And so my goal was to, at that point, start getting educated and working with millionaires. So I went and worked with an African-American millionaire who owns their own business and went and worked with a Jewish guy. Both for not what it should have been worth, but the value that I took out of that conversation, that relationship, elevated everything that I'm doing. And so I would say that you have to get around the right people, even if you have to work for free, even if you have to work for less than your worth, even if you have to, even if you have to, um, I'm not sure where I was going with that, but a lot of people, <laughs> I think that's what you got to change your circle. It's really the, the key is changing your circle. If, if, if your parents don't got it like that, then you you can have certain conversations with them, but you can't have all the conversations with them. And what you'll find is as you start to take off, they'll kind of come alongside and they'll listen to you. But if you guys are just existing in the same environment and you're trying to tell them what they should be doing, they're not going to listen to you, especially if you're outnumbered. And I think that's one of the most unfortunate things is when you see the light, you're going to be around people who don't see the light. And so they're going to make it seem like you were crazy. And not yeah. That yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. So that's, it's a circle. Yeah. That's 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 a fact. That's a fact. And a, and a question I always like asking people that's doing that's really doing good things out here is: Do you feel like do you do you feel like it's an obligation for you to give back to your community? I I don't know if I like the the idea of giving back as it exists. Okay. A lot of people think that giving back is money i don't really know of a good example i think right money but it's like say for example you make it right Mm -hmm. and grandma she's not doing well you're like oh grandma um i'm gonna go buy you a car oh grandma i'm gonna buy you some groceries or oh whoever in the street like cousin pookie i'm gonna i'm gonna take care of this for you i don't think that helps them i'm about i'm I'm trying to kind of create a way where you can give back, but also improve things for people. Because 
it's not the money, it's the mindset. Mm-hmm. And you guys know this. So it's like, mm-hmm. if, I'm only giving you, if I'm only giving you money, you got the same mindset, nothing's changing for the community. Nothing and at all. Six months, you're going to be in the same situation. So I think that there has to be a better way. I don't know what that way is. I just know that the current way, I don't really agree with it. And so, I mean, one of the things I found in doing what we do is when you do good for people and you change their mindset, you change their circumstances, it's profitable. It's highly profitable to improve things for other people. Um, and so that's kind of what we do with investing. I don't think we're giving back per se by investing in the inner city, but we are. Right. And I think that that's kind of how I want to focus on giving back is by investing back. I want to make it a mutually beneficial relationship where I'm giving you something, but I'm getting a return on this investment and you're getting something by this investment. And when we take that approach, I think we'll get a lot more people giving back because it's not a give. It's more of an investment. Mm. And I had this conversation on the last show where you don't realize it, but by giving you gain. And so it's not even, it's not a gift. I'm not giving you anything, but improving things for other people is in effect giving back, but it's also very profitable. An example is, when I used to work for that firm with a Jewish guy, I never knew this existed, but there is this such thing, you guys might know this, it's called low-income housing tax credits, mm. where if you put low-income housing in the inner city, the government's going to subsidize that investment. And there are people who are making millions of dollars who don't look anything like the people in that community who are providing low-income housing, which is in effect giving back, and they're getting rich in the same process. And that's where our focus has to be. Don't just give back and then keep them broke. Right. Get mm-hmm. back, make money, you help them, and in doing so, you're going to improve your community long term, not just in the short term. Yeah. I really like that mentality on it because um I always had like that inner struggle with it too cuz it's like I want to give back the right way, but I don't want to aid in you being dependent on me to just give, give, give and you do nothing in return. So I've right. always had that battle with it, but I like taking that mentality and looking at it as rather an investment. So if, if I give you something, I expect something in return too. For you know, cuz I'm out here working hard and I feel like if I'm going to give back, you got to, you know, do something too. You should be out here working hard as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One one thing I don't like about this idea of giving back is it kind of creates this savior complex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, people are waiting. They're waiting like, oh, LeBron, you made it. Cool, come <laughs> save us. And I read this book. I reference a lot of books whenever I do interviews because everything I do is book-based. But I read this book called The Jewish Phenomenon. And I'm not sure if it's that book or a book called The Money Code, which is really good. And there's also a book called The Investment Code, and they're all Jewish-related books. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I really relate to Jews is because they went through a similar struggle and oppression, mm-hmm. and they find a way to they find a way to win despite. Um, and I think a lot of their what they've done can translate into African Americans because I, I, that's a different tangent. But what I want to say is yeah. the Jewish people don't they're not looking for one MLK, they're not looking for one LeBron James, they're not looking <laughs> for one savior. Each of them wakes up every single day and tries to be the LeBron James for their community. It tries to be the MLK for their, for their community. So yeah. they're constantly improving. And I think that that is so dope to me. And it also explains why they're winning across the board. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Oh. And we was just, that's the conversation that we were just having the day before yesterday. We was driving out to San Francisco and I was saying how, in my opinion, our community is the only, we the only people where we look for like one savior. And I'm like, if we just have one savior and that savior something happens 
Then what, what's going like the rest of us? Right, exactly. I'm like the rest of us. What's what you what you think is gonna happen to the rest of us? But <laughs> so, uh, but uh, another question I wanted to ask you was: uh, you mentioned you were in law school. What made you want to go to law, law school? Um. So when I when I wasn't in law school, I had an undergrad degree in finance. I started okay. working in financial advising. So to give you guys some background, okay, I got out of uh, college. I worked for Edward Jones. I got my Series Seven, Series Sixty Six licenses life insurance licenses and I did that and then from there I went to private banking which is really dope and there I was only working with clients who had over $250,000 in assets or more still licensed still selling stocks still selling uh, mutual funds all that good stuff and I was around a lot of financial advisors who all wanted to be lawyers they dressed like lawyers they carried bags like lawyers they did all (laughs) this stuff so they could give off this image as though they're attorneys and I would say that I wanted to go to law school because I needed to get my income up even higher because by getting my income higher, I could invest harder. My goal was always to get to the BFI quadrant. I read the cash flow quadrant really, really early in life, a little too early. So I think <laughs> it kind of made me crazy. I mean, not like jobs that much. But I knew I had to, my goal was always to be a business owner and an investor. Never wanted to be an employee, never wanted to be a minion. And so I knew if I don't have a lot of family who's going to give me a bunch of money, I needed to earn that money. And so getting into law school, getting a law degree was going to help me get my income to the level because I'm not a salesperson. If I was a salesperson, if I had that personality, if I was an extrovert, if I was really outgoing and I could sell my way to it, I would do that, but I wasn't that guy. And so I knew I had to be able to get six figures, high six figures, and do it so I can then invest harder. So it was really just an investment play. It was strategically positioning myself to invest but as I've gotten older, I've realized, like, you don't even need that. But it does help because I think that it's kind of like I started also doing research. And so I would do research and I would every time I find like a successful person, I always Wikipedia them. Always. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you got to find out what they did so that you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I kept coming across the same thing. Lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. Even if they weren't practicing law, a lot of them are lawyers. Sam Zell is a lawyer. Um, Donald Sterling's a lawyer. Of course, the Obamas are both lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, Mitt Romney is a lawyer. Almost any notable person was a lawyer. And I was like, okay, so the law degree is going to help me even if I don't practice law. So let me go ahead and just add this tool to my belt and go forward. Because what I'm finding is the more valuable you are, the more wealthy you become. And a lot of people, they want to take the shortcuts and they want to um, do the no money down method, the no credit method. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a cap to how high you can go without having the actual skills and credentials backing you. And so for me, I wanted to go and get the skills and credentials so that then my value rises so that then I can just make money in multiple ways. So for me, even if, like, I always tell people, like, once you have a law degree, you can all always make money. Like, I make money consulting. I make money on my job. I make money investing, I make money selling products, I make money on my podcast, I make money, all these different streams of income, but each credential allows me to make more money. And now I'm in school to get an MBA, and even the MBA is refining me. So a lot of people don't like education. A lot of people, there's this really big conversation on the internet, like, oh, college isn't worth it. Yeah, if you get a BS degree, right. if you get a BS degree, <laughs> nothing's worth it. Yeah. And, but if you get, like my sister's studying to be a nurse, and she's like, oh, I got to take on $50,000 worth of debt but I'm going to be making this much a year okay. and I'm not going to have any worries. And so I always tell people like, 
where is your wealth mindset if you're afraid of $100,000 of debt? It can't be that high. Because mm-hmm. you can't be aiming for millions and be afraid of 100000 <laughs> Like, I think that we got to, like, expand our think, blow our think. But law school for me was it was a tool in the belt. It was a very miserable experience because I've always been a business owner, always been an investor mindset. But I knew it was getting me close to, the, uh, to where I wanted to be, which is raising my stature as a professional. Also helping me see the landscape because... I mean, law is integrated into everything that you do. Yep. So I had to also have that knowledge as well. Wow, that's, that's man, that's so dope, man. You 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 got a, a super super dope mindset for real, especially for you. How how old are you? You young? You like younger than thirty, right? No, I'm actually thirty two. You thirty two? Okay, yeah, I, so I, I'm older than thirty now. You still young though. You still super young. <laughs> so yeah, so that's like like us. A lot of the, I feel like a lot of these people don't get a mindset like that. So they're like forty five, if ever. Yeah. If ever. Yeah, right, if ever. If ever. <laughs> a lot of them, it never, it never happens. And so uh, I wanted to get into, like, Todd Capital. Todd Capital, do you mind explaining, like, what Todd Capital is and, like, what it's about? So Todd Capital is that is a growing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd Capital. I should have a pitch, but really, <laughs> it's the, the goal of Todd Capital is to be a holding company for everything. So holding company for assets rather. Mm-hmm. So as we grow it, we're starting to realize like different things we want to acquire within it. It's, it's real estate and stocks. Eventually it will also be trucking. But yep. one of my goals is to buy businesses outright. And so I've kind of been struggling with that because it's a big jump. But once I get to that point, that's where I want to be. But Todd Capital really is, it's just a vehicle. And I can't think of a good analogy for it. But it's 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 a lot of things because as you know, like I have Thai Capital Investment Club, Thai Capital Acquisition. Acquisitions, yeah. I have Thai Consulting, Thai Capital Tax, I have Thai Capital Trucking that we're still starting. One of the things I try to do is keep consistent branding. Mm-hmm. So I want to keep the colors the same. I want to keep um, the name the same because if I'm promoting Thai Capital Trucking, I'm also sub, um, subliminally promoting Thai Capital Investment Club or Thai Acquisitions. The more you hear Thai Capital, the more everything grows. Mm-hmm. The way I started it was Eric Thomas, I always tell people this story. Eric Thomas has this video where it says how to get rich or die trying. And he said that you have to discover your gift, refine your gift, and then give your gift away. And his example of him giving his gift away is all the YouTube videos he was promoting. And so I found like I need to find something that's my gift that's going to allow me to give it away. Now, this is also in conjunction with a lot of the, like, Mike Brown shooting, Trayvon Martin shootings, all those shootings. And I would always see us do the same thing. Somebody gets shot, we protest, go back to business as you. And so I told people, I was like, the reason why we have the conversation, why is this happening? Oh, well, the community's broke, we don't got any money, blah, blah, blah. People have to resort to doing crime to make money, so this. And I was like, well, there's a better way. We need to become investors, business owners, and we can improve things for ourselves. And so I kept hearing people like protest, go back to the usual, go back to business as usual. And so I said, let's create a group. We invest together and we buy stocks. We talk about stocks, we educate people on stocks. And that was a form of me giving my gift away. And so what I did is I just created this investment club and the investment club brought people in. I didn't charge them any money. We brought in, in the first year, maybe like a hundred people. Now it's more than 300 people. And quite honestly, it could be more. 
if we weren't running into all these headaches of the scale aspect because as you grow you're going to run into different different struggles mm. everybody wants success but it's like, mm. <laughs> it's very difficult and it gets expensive yeah but so me giving my gift away was me having these conference calls creating this platform for people to invest and it was just crazy because we started to see the power of teamwork we mm. started to see when 30 people putting 100 bucks now you got three grand to throw it in an investment opportunity and then the next month another three grand next month another three, three grand so we ended up having like seventy thousand dollars in the first year and ended up getting like a 47 percent return on investment kicked out some money to our partners and did very very well just that first year wow and so i started thinking like what else can we do and um one of the it's so it's so multi-layered because it's not it's it's a lot a lot of things going and moving but Tide Capital really is me giving my gift away, but also monetizing it at the same time. And then also realizing the power of teamwork because mm-hmm. there's really nothing that we can't do if we work together. Mm-hmm. We're exactly. at a point now where the only thing holding back the progress of us is making sure that we do everything in regards to keeping everything compliant. So our goal now is working with an attorney to make sure that we have everything, like all the docs, all the contracts, all the disclosures, because as we've grown and we've seen that the concept works and people want to be involved, I can raise money to buy anything I want through a DM, not even a DM, through a Snapchat. And we've done it. Like, oh, we're going to buy this house. Boom. People are people want to buy it. People want to buy it. Oh, we're going to buy this truck. People are bidding. They're chewing at the bit to invest and work with us. We just got to catch up because now the interest has outgrown our capacity. We've kind of outgrown our, our bandwidth. Right. Um, Tide Capital really is just me serving the community and also making it profitable, which I think you can do. Man, that's, do you um, have a criteria to join your investment club or do you accept, like how, do, how does one get a part of it? That's, what, that's, that's the question I was going to ask. Because I was like, right. yeah, you, you go. So in the beginning, because we're not really bringing on new members, there was no criteria. <laughs> and I, so at first it was like, hey, we want people who can invest a hundred bucks a month, every single month, participate in conference calls and just get involved. And the reason why I did that is because I worked in financial advising where we had minimums of $250,000. You see the gap. You see the gap of my people. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, I can't even work with... It also kind of makes your career kind of struggle as well because the people that you have the most immediate connection with, you can't really serve. Mm -hmm. So you have to fit into somebody else's community. Mm -hmm. You have to fit into their network and you have to kind of like compete with people um, to win over there. And so what I did is I started with a hundred bucks and then I was like, you know what, I'm going to bring it down to 25 bucks. And so we had a kid membership. We also had just a general membership. And then I was like, you know what? I don't even really care if you have zero bucks, just join the group chat, conversate or converse with this, talk to like, follow the conversation, get on the conference calls because I feel like you have to give and you have to become qualified and give and what you realize is everything catches up to you. If you're giving, if you're providing value, everything catches up to you. Because like I said, Tide Capital Investment Club has become the springboard for everything else I'm doing this Tide Capital oriented. Tide Capital Investment Club for free allows me to do tight acquisitions. It allows me to do Tide Capital trucking. It allows me to do Tide Capital tax. It allows me to do the podcast. And so I created this huge footprint. And I was telling somebody, you have to create your footprint. And by giving, it's like free samples. You give your free samples out, bring people into the brand. You get trust. Because one of the things is, yeah, it was for free, but people are learning that I can give money to Thai Capital and I'm going to get it back. He's not going to run off and go to Jamaica. He's not <laughs> going to do 
and crazy. And so there's a lot of things that are more important, not more. There are a lot of things that are as important as money. One of them is experience. One of them is knowledge. One of them is confidence. And if you have all those, you're also going to make more money. So for me, I wasn't so caught up on keeping people out as much as I was caught up on improving my community. I think that's how you give back. And one thing I tell people all the time is I might not have made money on the investment club, but the skills that I picked up by running the investment club made me even more money in the stock market that next year. And so it's a lot of pressure when you put yourself on the line like that in front of all those people and you have to perform. And so you're listening to podcasts, you're reading books, you are talking to people, you're watching different shows. And so that pressure pushed me to become a better stock market investor, which then helped me make a lot of money last year, did very well last year in the stock market um, and in my consulting company. So it, it all works together. And that's why podcasting is so great. It's free, but it brings a lot of value to you. It's really, it's, it, it blows your mind because we don't, we don't think we don't, we don't really connect getting money with giving something for free, but it comes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it comes because it's because it, it's because it's something of value that people are taking. They right, like right. they they're getting in some from. Now, uh, something I, w- I want to ask you about because I've seen this. You tweeted this a while ago, but it always like it always stuck with me because it's like man, that, that's like I just I just really felt this tweet and it's, you said uh, you said wealth is familial. So I was like, man, that's like, <laughs> I like that, like that's like like that's that's like my favorite tweet ever because it's like, I feel like that should be everybody should understand that and under like really understand that like wealth and poverty is like a it's a it's like a it passes down. It's like and you have right. to prog- reprogram yourself if you have that poverty mindset and it, and, and mm-hmm. your family comes from poverty. You have to reprogram your mind and mm-hmm. like I, I I just always like really really felt that tweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. The crazy part about it is, um, when I used to work, well, when I used to work for that old Jewish guy, mm-hmm. I'd never seen anything like this before. So, this guy started his company 20, 30 years ago. Ran his company. His son went to SC. He brought in his son. His son's now the CEO of that company, making great money, mm-hmm. having a bunch of people work for him. Upstairs, he has another son who wasn't really a good student. He struggled. He had to go through all these different classes in order to kind of progress financially. And what he did is his dad, his son was a tech guy. And so he allowed his son to create a tech company. And the main client for that tech company is his other son's company downstairs. Mm. <laughs> and That's the crazy. other film that I worked with, the other family that I work with, which a lot of people need to know about this family, not enough people know about this family. It's the Hawkins family and they're out of Watts. And the daughter owns a restaurant, very successful restaurant and watch black owned restaurant, black staff restaurant. And her brother across the street owns a tax company and a 99 cent community store. She had another sister who owned the same restaurant franchise in a different part of Los Angeles. And their dad started it all. Their dad had like multiple businesses. He owned the land. He was one of the few people that didn't sell the land to the free when they decided to take it through L.A. And you start thinking like that's familial as well because yeah. the dad passed to the daughter and the other daughter, I mean, the dad passed to the daughter, the daughter's daughter works with the business. She's going to take that over. And I started really seeing the key is your family. Like you can't get, well, it's really difficult to get wealthy and give your money to everybody else. <laughs> it's really, and, and not just your money. It's like Boyce Watkins. He gave this quote. He's like, you have all these educated people, doctor, lawyer, accountant, 
and they have all these degrees, engineers, and what they do is they go work for a whole bunch of different other white people. Different firm, different firm, different firm. And it was like, what if you brought that all under the same roof and you all built the same company? And so I'm finally getting my family to see the light where my sister's participating in my business. My mom's participating in my business. My mom's a CPA and she only, she so she has this knowledge and this experience. And what I'm learning and what grad school is teaching me is it's not my job to be all things to my business. I need to elevate myself to CEO status and then CEO this ship. And so now I can lean on her advice like, oh, you think we need to do this as an LP? Cool, let's do it as an LP. Even though I, I might think something different, I'm gonna defer to you. Mm-hmm. And so we're in the point of bringing in a lawyer, like, okay, I need a lawyer at all times because there are things that I don't have the time to research. There's things that I don't have the time to try to dig into and understand. Like you figure it out, you just report back to me. Oh, we need a banker now. All right, cool. You banker come and you be a part of our team. What does a team sport, business investing or team sports? So I would say that the familial aspect is just me seeing it, getting around wealth. You get around wealth and you start seeing like, oh, you're poor because you're an individual. Oh, you're poor because you think you got to be all things. You think you got to be the smartest person on the team. You're poor because you are in competition with everybody. You're not complimenting other people. You're not helping other people. Like I get it now, but you're not going to even see it until you get into the other other circles. And sometimes you're going to have to work for those people. It's mm-hmm. going to be difficult to just say, mentor me, coach me. You can spend a lot of money mentoring and coaching. But if you give value to them, it's the same concept, giving for free. If you give them free value, they're going to overcompensate and make sure that you get what you need to get out of that relationship. So, Wow. That, that's dope. If that, you're going to build a team, why not start with your family, the people you, 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 know, you trust first and foremost and start there? Yeah. Why? Yeah. It's, it's, it, another thing I noticed is you're already giving to them anyway. Like mm-hmm. I'm already hooking. I like I give a lot to my niece and nephew, and so it's like if their mom helps me, I'm gonna be giving to you anyway. It's not like I have to pay double. And I've employed people who are outside of my family, and it's like Grant Cardone says. He says if you're going to enrich anybody, at least enrich the people that are around you. Don't enrich somebody else's household. Enrich your own household. Right. So. Yeah. I think that's the hack. When I found yeah. that out, I was like, that's definitely the hack. The family is everything. Yeah. And um, we listened to like a, a Boyce Watkins video, but I like that he said, your family members, your friends, like the people around you should be investments, not liabilities. So I always took right. that and ran with it. Like, all right, you know, if you're going to be around me, I'm investing in you rather just, you know, making you dependent on me and making you a liability to my life. Yeah. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And, yep. And so something else I want to get to that you mentioned really quick was uh the stock market. You said you did pretty well last year. So I wanted to ask you because I know a lot of people that didn't do well last year. Last year was a rough year for a lot of people that I that I that I've been talking to. So I'm like, okay. So I I want to ask you like so what like what are some of the the uh the the tips and strategies that you that that you like to uh discuss as far as stocks? Yeah. So you know the reason why the reason why reading is so good is it gives you access to a lot of people that you wouldn't normally have access to. When I wanted to become a good investor, I started reading a lot of Warren Buffett, mm-hmm. and then from there I got introduced to Benjamin Graham. Mm-hmm. And then I've read a lot of really really good books on investing. Um, so I always tell people like you got to read. And Kramer's going to teach you how to evaluate a stock, price earnings ratio, all that cool stuff, earnings per share. But the best thing that you can do is really get out there and invest. Mm-hmm. My tips are 
And one thing I found that's really interesting about this tip is it's not just a stock tip. It's actually an investing tip, period. And it's that you have to, you can't buy what's popular. And I think that that's what people, most people do wrong is most people, they buy what they're talking about on CNBC. Mm-hmm. They buy even, even what Jim Cramer is promoting. And what you don't realize is a lot of times you're somebody's exit strategy. So that's, it's, it's, if we kind of relate that to a flip, somebody else bought it when it was bad, brought it all the way up. Now they're saying, look at this great house that we have. It's a great company. You want to invest in it. You want to buy it. And then there's no more upside. There might be some upside in five to 10 years, but within the next one to two to three years, you're going to lose value there. And so what I did, because when I first started really investing, like investing big money, trying to make money, I would do the same thing. I was like, oh, this company is going up. I got to buy. And then I was like, hey, that strategy doesn't really work that well. Let me start buying some stuff that's not doing well and see how that works. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is you'll get really large outsized returns when you buy something that's been hammered. And so my strategy now is, okay, this company is a great company, but it's getting hit with bad press. An example would be Tesla. This company is... Um, this company has a great product, but it has a terrible stock. Why is that? Maybe it's being overlooked. Let me go buy that, like Habit or Under Armour. Or um, you, it's, it's, I think that the tip is buy the bad and sell the good. And I think that's a much better way to say buy low, sell high. Because buy low, sell high is what everybody knows. But what they end up doing is buying high and selling low because they're buying what's hot. And so my tip is, when you see bad news, that's when you need to buy. When you see Mm -hmm. good news, that's what you need to sell. And it's the same thing is true with real estate. I tell people all the time, like, I don't buy what's popular. I don't buy what everybody likes. And, I mean, you guys are crypto guys, but that's why I didn't buy crypto. Mm -hmm. And it sounds really bad. And that's also kind of why I'm getting kind of leery of rental property investing. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like it's getting a little bit too popular. Mm -hmm. And... Whenever I start seeing newbies, not investors, people just got a hot tip, getting rich, making a lot of money, that's a sign <laughs> the market's too hot. Yeah. That's a sign that we're in a, in a bubble. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would say that my tip is just buy value. And you can determine value a lot of ways, but I like to look at the chart to determine where it is in return in regards to the trend that it's following, where it is in regard to its 52-week high, 52-week low. Um. There's a lot of things that go into it. It's it's not a simple analysis. You really got to live in this stuff. It's tough to it's tough to make money in the stock market and just dip your toe in. You got to swim yeah. in the cool it. Yep. So, I mean, just basic tips. I can't even really think of too yeah. many tips because for me, it's not so much tips as much as it's doing instinctive. Yeah. But one thing I do tell people is an example would be like if I'm looking at a company I'm going to buy into earnings. And I'm going to look at their three-month chart. I'm also going to look at their one-month chart to see what kind of trend is following. And depending on a lot of factors, sometimes a stock will be running up into its three into its three-month chart. And you have to look at well, why is it running up into its three-month chart? Is it because of good news? Is it because of uh, news that they thought was bad but actually isn't bad news? And then you have to kind of make a judgment call: like, is it going to potentially continue on that trend, or is that just a fake trend? Because in between earnings, there's a lot of chatter. So you have like the real numbers and you have to chatter on what those numbers mean. And you don't really get the reality of those numbers into the next three month mark. Right. So you have to determine like, is the chatter real? Is the news real? And also has it been running up too high? It's, it's, it's 
a lot that goes into it, but I would just say that reading and learning is the best thing that you can do. Yeah, I agree. Because uh, I, I always tell people that I say uh, researching and with stocks, being patient. Don't expect, like, don't expect things to happen, like, literally overnight. And that's why the, the, the next question I wanted to ask you was, like, uh, I want to see what your what your thoughts was on because I feel like wealth is a is a is a the wealth game is is a patient thing. You have to practice patience on a high on a on a high level. So I want to ask, what do you think about patience? What is just your your mindset think, on that? I think that you you have to be patient, not just when you're when you're waiting, but also mm-hmm. when you're winning, because that's one thing I'm trying to tell like the partners that I'm working with is like. We're doing well in rental properties, but that doesn't mean you pull the money out and you go crazy. That means you're either going to stack it or acquire more. Mm-hmm. And so I think that I'm not even sure if it's really patience as much as it's just that's just how the game is played. Like, I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, the question makes sense and everybody kind of gets it. It's like if you're investing in the stock market, if you're investing in real estate, it's a long game. It's not mm-hmm. time in the market. It's time in the market. Mm-hmm. But it's. I think that the principle that I'm really trying to drill in now, as more people are becoming investors and more people are buying trucks, as more people are buying real estate, is we have to make sure that we're preserving what we have. Right. We have to make sure that we're not just buying trucks, but we're keeping trucks. Keeping. We have to make sure we're not just buying real estate, but we're keeping real estate. And the way you do that is by keeping cash, keeping reserves, stashing it, and not spending it on the good life, like just making money for the sake of having it. Because we don't know when the next downtime cycle is going to come. We just know when it's going to come. And you don't want to be a lot of people. What, what a lot of people don't know is before the last recession, there were a lot of African-American people who own homes, who were doing well, who own businesses. The problem is they lost them all because they were over leveraged and they were thinly capitalized. And so as we're getting back into this, we have to still take the same approach because if you do the same thing we did last time where we get assets and then we don't have the cash to sustain them, we're going to be 10 years later complaining about the same things. And so for me, patience to get in, patience to stay in, it all makes sense. I 100% agree. I'm just kind of beating the drum now for saying, hey, you own these trucks. Like, don't take no vacations, man. <laughs> right. Don't buy man. no crazy. Like, you don't need to, like, do all, all that crazy stuff. Like, it's... It's, it's a different mentality, but one thing I tell people is, like, for me, money isn't something to buy things. It's money It's money to own things. Man. So it's like, I can't <laughs> get money and just say, okay, like, I have $10,000. What am I going to do with this? It's like, okay, I have $10,000. Like, all right, back to business. Yep. And that's how I've seen the millionaire do, do is, like, they're still working. They're not chilling. Yep. Even though they have, like, Grant Cardone, he's still working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, even though he's massively successful. And that's what creates generational wealth, where you've made it, and now you're working for the next generation. It's not just that your assets are working for the generation. Sometimes you might have to show up for the next generation. Mm-hmm. That's like the guy who's 70 years old, 72 years old. The dude, is he's, he's done. His life is over. He's not even working for himself anymore. He's working for, like, his kids' kids' kids. It's kind of like what Brandon said. He's like, he's, he wealth is when you have money for kids you don't even know. Like for a family that you don't even know exists, you'll never live to see them. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, I think that like patience, absolutely. But I really want people to get this concept of not just getting money and pulling it, yeah. but getting money and preserving it. 
Yes. Making it permanent. That's a voice walker says you got to make your money permanent. Permanent. Yeah, I agree, I agree 100%. And I was just talking to somebody else about this. I was saying how on Twitter a couple of days ago, I was having this little this, uh, debate with someone because I was saying how uh, I was saying how I, I know a lot of rich, wealthy people that well, that they, they don't have a lot of nice things. And I know a lot of people that don't have money at all and they have a lot of nice things. So I was saying, so I was saying how, um, and this guy, he was saying, he was like, what? That don't make any sense. He's like, the whole, the whole purpose of having money is to, to buy expensive things. And I'm like, I'm like, huh? I'm like, I'm like, am I reading this wrong? I'm like, I don't know about you, but with me, I don't care about the material shit at all. I don't care about buying a new car. I mean, a big house is nice. Fresh clothes, all that is cool. But that's not the point. That's not why I'm getting money. I'm getting money so I could re- literally buy my time back. And then when I get older, I can have stuff so I can pass on to my kids, my nieces, my nephews, and stuff like that. I'm, like, I'm not getting money so I could get out here and just buy a bunch of shit. Like, I, I don't, I, like, like, that's pointless. Why would I put in all these hours to do that? <laughs> I think it's, it's truly like a mindset. It's a yeah. mindset shift. Yeah, it's a, and it's like the the overall overall mentality in like this digital era that seems to be booming right now is just you just want to look rich. You don't actually want to be rich. You just you want to have all these nice things, all that other stuff. Like don't matter. Like I know when we first started push, pushing like financial literacy and investing, you know, like a lot of people um, started reaching out. But it seems like after a while, it's like all right, like okay, like you know, th- th- people get to a point where it's just like. I don't want to say they don't care, but it's like they don't want to put the work in to like better themselves or know more and like you know ex- expand from what they're already doing. Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And uh, so I want to ask because you 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 said a statement about rental uh, rental properties and how you kind of you kind of not shifting out of them, but it's like they're real hot right now. So like I want to ask like what's your wow. I don't want to say why you're taking on it because you already said why, but like, so what's your, uh, are you planning on coming out of them or is like. So when we bought our properties, we bought with knowledge that the market could shift. So we bought a lot of single family homes that function as rental properties, knowing that in the event that people decide they want to own these homes, we can sell or finance them to them. Mm. And so for me, it was thinking multiple steps ahead and, I could have I could have got into apartment investing, but and I did. I looked at apartment investing. We haven't bought any apartment apartment complexes, but I looked into getting into it, and the numbers didn't make any sense. The valuations didn't make sense. The cap rates were super low. In California, cap rates are like three percent, and so how do you justify making three percent of your money? You don't. You don't. Right. <laughs> Especially if the, if the if the debt costs four to five percent, maybe more you're losing money to own an investment. Yep. And so for me, that's just an indication that that market has gone crazy. And so then I start looking at other factors and you start looking at the syndicators and you have these newbie syndicators who they've never owned apartment complexes. They just kind of got a hip to it and they were able to raise the money and make the deal sound attractive to people who were looking for an alternative to their savings accounts that weren't paying anything. And so they were able to raise all this money by these low cap rate properties and I think it's, and, and not only that, rents were just crazy, unjustifiably high. And what you would hear is that everybody was saying rents can only go up, which is the same thing they said about real estate prices back in 2007, 2008. So there are a lot of indicators over there that just indicated that the multifamily market was going haywire. And my, my, my theory 
is that if multifamily at mass is gone haywire, then it's going to have to trickle down to all these people who are buying rental properties, just banking on them being rental properties. And so it's it's kind of this concept, the same concept. I should really write a book on principles of investing that just trans transpired greater than just the stock market or translate greater than just real estate. But it's the same concept. The same stock concept is that if everybody's doing it, if it's hot, I don't want it. And so I love rental property. It's the dopest thing ever to get a check Mm -hmm. for doing nothing, especially once you get it to the point where it's just kicking. You get really good tenants who don't even call you. But when newbies and novices start doing stuff, making a lot of money doing it, I always get leery. And that doesn't mean that I leave the market altogether. That means that we're saying, hey, this is really doing as well, but we can't spend the cash. We can't distribute the cash because we don't know what's going to happen. And I don't want us to be over here where um, the market's turned against us and we don't have the money to fight our battles because money in a lot of ways is ammunition. And so mm-hmm. I think that we've thought that through in a lot of ways. We've also thought that through in a lot of like how we haven't leveraged our properties. We own all our properties free and clear. We pay for them in cash. And so I think that that's another step. A lot, of, And that's one thing that I think maybe education does is it really made me think through the whole process of us doing this. Like how not just buying it, but protecting it, not just acquiring it, but thinking two, three steps ahead, like, what are we going to do if this happens? What are we going to do if this happens? What are we going to do if this happens? So we've done all of our due diligence to the point where if rental property is turned against us, at least we'll be good. I'm trying to make sure that everybody else is good because one of the unfortunate things is if you only know what somebody's told you, you don't know what's going to happen when something changes because I always tell people, like, for me, it's not the rental property. It's the thought that got us to the rental property. It's not the truck's it's a thought that gets us to the trucks. That's what's most valuable. That's what the experience is going to give you. Because if you only know what somebody told you, what are you going to do in three years when the market looks different? You got to wait for them to tell you something else. Mm. You got to get the education, and the experience right now. to make your own investment decisions ahead of the market. Because, like I said, like you make your money buying the bad, but if you don't even know if it's bad, or if you don't know to ha- how to qualify what's bad, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to buy a market that you should be in. You're going to buy market. You're going to buy. Um, at the inverse, you're going to buy bad markets you shouldn't be in, you're going to buy good markets you shouldn't be in, you're going to miss that middle sector. So I would say that I think that rental property is great. We just got to be very strategic and intelligent about how we're going to keep what we buy. Wow. That's, that's, that's important. And that's, and that's dope for everybody that's uh, listening. That's, that's really, that's really dope information for real. And I, uh, another question I want to ask was as far as the recession, like I tweeted out yesterday, like what are some of the strategies, strategies that people are doing right now? Are they, they holding, staying liquid, waiting for the recession to happen, or are they still investing heavily or are they, are they doing both to some degree? And that's what I want to ask you. So what, what are uh, you doing? And when do you think the next recession will be? If there will be one. Um, I think what's very interesting about recessions is whenever we think recession, we think the last recession. Right. And that wasn't a very common recession. That was like a great recession. That was damn near a depression. People don't really call it a depression, but I think it was a depression. Um, and I think that one of the worst things you can do is try to time the recession. And that's why when I watch Gary Vee and he's like, yeah, I'm all liquid because the recession's coming. Like, you don't know that. Right. <laughs> think about it. When 2009 hit, was anybody expecting 2009 to hit? Nobody no, was. Nobody was. Nobody. Yeah, nobody. It was the best of times. Yep. Nobody. And so for me, it's like in order for it to be a recession, people can't predict it. 
My thing is that a recession is going to happen when people think it can't get any better than it's getting. A recession is going to happen when there's this irrational exuberance where people are buying, buying, buying. The, the recession that I see coming, and I don't know what's going to come, is in multifamily property and people who are doing burr investing. I guess familiar with burr investing? With, with, with burr investing? Right. So no. people who are buying rental properties. And so what they'll do is they have a down payment. They'll buy one property. They'll renovate that property and they'll refinance it, take all the cash out, and they'll use that same down payment to buy another one. And so there's people who are building up this empire where they can buy properties with one down payment. So they own 15, 20, sure. 30 properties with 30 mortgages and they're renting it out. And it's a great rehab, but if the market turns against them, if the rents turn against them, they're not cash flowing anymore. Right. That's all good when, when they project rents are going to continue to go up, but that's not realistic. Um, so the recession, I, I don't think that it's really even wise to try to predict it. I think you have to invest intelligently. And so that means buying good deals. That means making sure that you preserve the cash from the deals that you do get. That means that the capital gains that you're getting, like you can harvest your gains, but don't, don't like my thing is, I really like Gary V's principle of not spending money on dumb stuff Yeah, because it's not even a Gary V principle. It's a Jewish principle and Jews don't spend money on dumb stuff. They're prudently frugal, selectively extravagant. So you can be extravagant every so often, but your lifestyle shouldn't be extravagant across the board. And so you see guys who have Gucci, this Fendi, this gold all the here. Like that's not prudently. That's not, that's, that's doing too much. You're going to lose. So you can mm. have a nice watch. I'm not saying, deny yourself altogether, but I'm saying that your life shouldn't be based on splurging. So my strategy is to buy intelligently. I know the number we need to buy a house at. And I tell the guys that I'm working with, I'm like, you know my number. And I'd explain to them, I told them, I was like, if I buy, like I need a 40% return. If I buy over this number, I'm not going to get a 40% return. Every single dollar over that decreases my ROI. Yep. And I told him that, and I think he, it finally resonated with him. <laughs> so, um, you have to buy intelligently. You got to rehab intelligently. You got to rent intelligently. It's about being an intelligent investor, not just being an investor. And interestingly enough, the intelligence comes by doing, not by just a bunch of reading. I read, I've read a bunch of real estate books. I really didn't learn the business until I got into the business. But then once you get in there, you start to realize it's not as difficult as you think it is. It's just a different, you got to get your, your sea legs. And once you get your sea legs, you start to kind of get a feel for how things go. And then you become a professional investor. You only do your first deal once. After your first deal, you're a professional investor. So, um, yeah, I, I just say be really intelligent about your finances. Make sure that you're not making a bunch of money and then spending it. And then make sure that you're always on the offense. Make sure you're always buying good deals. Still continue to acquire more, but intelligently. If you acquire intelligently and you preserve your cash, it doesn't matter if a recession comes. Mm, pretty much you be recession-proof at that point. <laughs> Like right. I like I was talking to uh, Andre Hatchett a couple of days ago, and that's what he was telling. He was like, "Man, my my, my businesses are recession proof," and I was like, "Man, that's, that's, that's <laughs> I was like, that, that that's a that's that should be the stunting that everybody want to do. Everybody want to stunt with a Gucci belt right. or whatever, but stunting said a statement like that. That's real, like flexing to me, mm-hmm. and, but in a dope, not in an arrogant way, in a dope way. And a couple more questions I had before we like wrapped up because I ain't want I, I know you uh busy and I want to I know we could have this good conversation all day. But a, qu- a couple more questions I had was so what's the uh what is uh the difference between like Todd Capital and like Todd acquisition Todd Capital acquisitions and uh Todd Capital Tax? The partners. Okay. 
So different partners for each. That's the, right. So I was, I was, I don't, I don't want to butcher the quote, but mm-hmm. basically I was watching this, this post and he was saying something along the lines of like, entrepreneurs don't need certification. Employees need certifications, but entrepreneurs don't. I just need strategic partnerships. And so for me, Thai Capital Tax is a strategic partnership. I bring in the clients, I market and brand my business, which also adds another layer to my business, which makes my business more refined and rounded because it's it's really just it's symbiotic. It's all related to business and finance. Taxes is related to business and finance. If I don't have a tax arm, I'm not completely serving my clients. If I have all these LLC and consulting clients, but I don't have taxes to help them, it's kind of like it's like malpractice almost. Mm. And so I've partnered with a few different people and they provide the tax services. I provide the brand and the advertising. Tide Acquisitions is different in that it's partnerships per property. And so each property is a partnership. We buy a property, then we set it up as an LLC, and then we acquire the property and we capital the property and people get paid accordingly. But it's all underneath the Tide Acquisitions umbrella, which is also under the Tide Capital umbrella. Tide Capital Investment Club is the stock market aspect of it. But it's more, it's free. We don't charge anything except now we're starting to charge admin fees because there's certain things we need. Like um, we need to pay for the phone service, we need to pay for the tax returns, we need to pay for uh, accounting. Like as we've grown, we've had to actually bring in more structure. Mm. So the difference really is just the people that we work with. Um, Ty Consulting is really just me. But that team is expanding. But one of the things is, I read this book and he was talking about how the, the skills you have in your nine to five can double your income if you market them to the world. And so that's what I did both ways. I marketed to the world, I doubled my income. And so <laughs> the skills, right. And I always tell my mom this too. I'm like, you are a CPA, like you do taxes for them. You can be taxes, do taxes on yourself for the side. Mm-hmm. And so <clears throat> that's, that's really is. I just try to keep consistency in branding. I try to keep the colors the same. I try to keep the name the same because it's really like if you go to a grocery store, the grocery store doesn't just sell bread. They sell milk, eggs, fish, mm. produce. And so each brand for me is a product. It's not a company. It kind of is, but it's kind of not. It's like I just had to put something in there. So I tie everything together. So you have tie capital consulting, tie this, tie this, tie this, tie this, tie this. And it all promotes the same thing. We keep consistency. But it's really just like this, this big suite of, of products that I can, I can market to the world that all started from expanding my footprint and getting the trust of the community through the investment club. Mm, do you, um, do you primarily buy your properties in California or do you buy like all across the U S yeah. I don't buy a damn thing in California. <laughs> hey, I don't blame I just had to clarify. I it's all, it's all over, it's so overpriced out here. It's ridiculous. Right. Uh, overpriced it is. Right. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, I had a conversation with somebody and all right. So when I first decided I wanted to become a real estate investor, I was in law school looking for properties. Um, I thought I had to go the conventional way. I thought I had to get a mortgage, take on debt, do all that stuff. And so we did it, got pre-qualified. We're looking at properties and I came across this really dope deal. The home I knew was undervalued. If you look at a bunch of homes long enough, you start to be able to spot things that are undervalued and analyzing deals as well. 
So every night, just looking, 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 looking. And I came across this deal. I was in law school with a girl who actually had a broker's license. And so I said, hey, I want to buy this house. It was a two-bedroom condo in Highland, California. And it was being marketed for like 30 grand. And this is like four or five years Damn. ago. And if you look at Highland's actually a nice area. Mm-hmm. This was just like a niche. It was kind of like a little ghetto within within a nice area. And so we put an offer in, but because the market, because that apartment or that housing complex was more than 50% uh, renter occupied, you couldn't get an FHA loan. You couldn't get a loan on it at all. Mm. And so she told me, she said, hey, why don't you get 10 people or get five people who have $10,000 and you guys just buy it in cash? And I was like, that's a dope idea. And so um, we ended up not scrapping that idea. I, I, I started to get the ball rolling. And people ended up backing out. They didn't have the money at the last minute. And that was my first kind of foray into pulling money together with people. I started looking for properties out of state. And so we started looking for properties in Atlanta because I had family in Atlanta. And I thought I had to have a home base in Atlanta. And so we we were looking at properties. We were almost going to buy one. And then I think, like, everybody got spooked at the last minute. (laughs) Started asking crazy questions. And so we ended up backing out of that deal. And so I just kept pushing because it's like, if you want something, you're going to find a way. If not, you're going to find an excuse. Yep. And so I started looking, looking all across the country, and I started hearing about, and I don't tell people, I think you might know, but I, uh, I started hearing about Detroit. And I started yeah. looking at the properties in Detroit and hearing about all the people that are investing in Detroit. And I was like, there might be something to this Detroit thing. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking at properties, started talking to wholesalers, and we came across a house that was listed for like $18,000. It looked great. An old lady lived there. She passed away. She didn't pass away in the house, but she passed away. New, nice carpet. Nothing was damaged. Didn't look crazy. Um, and I was like, this is this is nice right here. 17 grand. This is cool. And so I talked to the wholesaler, We uh, and I talked to my partners. We bought the property, and we rented it for 700 bucks to this lady. And she paid every single month. Everything was cool. And I was like, I thought they said you couldn't make money in Detroit. I thought they said that Detroit was bad. I thought they said that your homes are going to get broken into in Detroit. What's right, really going on? Right. And so I started, one thing I did is I got in contact with other investors. And so I went onto a Facebook group and I said, hey, who here is investing in Detroit? And so I met this guy and his name is Kelvin. And he's still a mentor to this day. I talked to him like two, three times a week. He owns 15 homes out there. And I was like, people don't just buy 15 homes if it's a bad investment. If it's a bad investment, you're not even going to buy one. You might buy one and just be pissed off. Be pissed, right. So I had a conversation with him. I started working with him. And I found another deal. I found house number two. Mm. House number two. Actually, the way I found house number two is I found another house. because we, we were in the process of trying to buy turnkey. Because we're beginning investors. We were super scared. We are like, we don't want to do no repairs, nothing. We just got to be turnkey. <laughs> Our first property... All we did was clean the carpet and put a tenant in there. The second property, it looked good. It seemed to be refreshing. We painted some little, little basic, basic stuff. But the way I found that is I was trying to call on turnkey properties. And I called and I was talking to the guy and he was like, yeah, I actually bought that home, rehabbed it. He started telling me the numbers and breaking it down. He bought the house for like super cheap, rehabbed it for like super cheap. It looked great. He sold it for like how much he sold it for, but I kept in contact with him. So I was like, hey, you come across anything else, let me know. And so he came across this other house. It was in good condition. It's the second house we bought. And we actually bought that house for $10,000. And we put 10000 in rehab into it. Rinsed it out for 700 bucks a month. And 
we did that and we're like, this thing is still working, man. This is crazy. How's this thing still working? They said it can't work. Exactly. And so then we uh, came across this super steal of a deal. We bought this house for $11,000 and it already had a tenant inside of it. And this is our first experience of buying something with a tenant inside of it. And so that was an experience because everybody says, don't inherit tenants. Oh, yeah. tenant blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so we just bought the house anyway. Bought it for $11,000. And we're getting comps now that the homes in that market are selling for like 30, 35. And so we already made like 25 in equity, yep. but it's still cash flows. We've made our mm-hmm. money back. We, we're we not, not only like the market. And this is, this is when I started to realize, like, you got to buy what they hate, man. If you are buying what they love, you were lunch. If you're buying what they love, you're buying, you're their exit strategy. And that's why I stopped buying turnkey because they've taken all the profit out of it. Mm-hmm. We started realizing as we got more experience, as we started to see, like, what's the worst that can go wrong? We already, we've lived with the worst that can go wrong. We know the most expensive things to repair on a rental property are the, the roof and the furnace. And that's it. Like, all that other scary stuff they try to spook through a lot of for being into the rental property market. We've lived through it. We know it. It's not, it's not a deal, big deal anymore. So anyway, um, I forgot what the question was. But <laughs> I, I, would just, I would just say that y- you got to... You got to want something so bad that you're willing to do whatever you got to do to get it. And I live in California. I've been to Detroit maybe three or four times. And we bought two homes before I even went to Detroit. But a lot of that scary stuff is just meant to keep you small. A lot of that stuff they tell you not to do is meant to keep you small. It's meant to keep you clocking in, going to a nine to five, doing what they tell you to do. It's really not that difficult. And there's so much that I could talk about on this, but... I, I would just say that I forgot the question. I, but, know, I don't remember. Um, it's, it's, it's just, just take the leap, man. Yeah. Everybody take the leap. Everybody take and the stop leap. listening to people who don't have what you don't what you want. Yeah, yeah, man. That's mm-hmm. and I I know I, it was. It's, I don't know. I want to ask you something. Where did the uh, name Todd come from? Because I thought that was your name at first. I get that a lot. I'm like, I thought yeah, that was your I get name. That a lot. So I'm like, what, what made him pick that? Pick that as like and run with it. So. I have a, I have a, I'm not sure if it's a, what is it called? An acronym? Okay. But what I say Todd stands for is together we can overturn, over, overcome deterrent and distractions. Mm. And I feel like in a lot, and a lot of times, unfortunately, first it, it emphasizes the togetherness. The other is that overcoming. And the other is that there are a lot of deterrents because there's a lot of people who you give them the light and they want to like throw sand on the light or they want to debate the light. They want to argue the light. And so we are constantly fighting against what people say is not possible. They say it's too hard. What they say you shouldn't be doing what they say is all this stuff. And I just kind of got tired of it. But a long time ago, the real origin of Todd as the name is, and it's a really silly story. That's why when people ask, it's like, it's really not that. But <laughs> <laughs> we went to Vegas. We, we all went to Vegas and, Everybody was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to be this guy this week. I'm going to change my name to this guy. Okay. And I was like, OK, like I'm going to change my name to Hunter Todd for the weekend. <laughs> and so I just kind of carried the name Hunter Todd and I started a necktie company. And the necktie company was Hunter Todd Neckwear. But <clears throat> and this is actually kind of good. The thing that I learned, what gives me an advantage with Todd Capital is that I have <clears throat> the education and the experience that kind of makes me be able to be that guy where people can look at me and say, okay, I trust his opinion. I trust his judgment. 
Whereas when I was doing neckties, I'm not a fashion guy. I'm not going to be at your fashion show. I'm not going to be um, doing all this fashion stuff. I just wanted to sell ties because I wanted to go into a business. I want to have a business for myself. I want to make money. And so what I realized is your business has to be deeper than just making money. In order for it to be really successful, your business has to be waking up at 7 o'clock to talk real estate and business. If you don't love it that much, (laughs) it's going to be really difficult. Right. It's going to be very difficult for you to be successful because it's going to require that much of you. And so for people listening, like, don't do a business to make money. Like, you might get lucky and it might work. But doing a business that's in line with who you are as a person is going to take you so much further because it's that hidden ROI. Yeah, you're going to make money. But you're also going to make a difference and you're also going to be fulfilled. It's about being fulfilled, not just getting money. It's like if you can be fulfilled, if you can change. I love it when I get DMs and somebody's like, man, I was listening to your show, watching your content. I bought this property. I'm buying this. I'm buying that is the ROI for me, mm-hmm. because for me, it's bigger than just like, did I make money? Did I improve the community? Am I being the MLK for my community? Like, that's what I want. If I, if I can be the MLK and not just like me being the only, the savior, right. I want to be one of the many MLKs. Right. Like, that's what I really, that's what I care about. And so the name Hunter Tide is silly, but one thing that um, I just kind of ran with it, just keeping it consistent, because one thing I've also noticed is that in certain ways with the business, people don't do business with the person, they do business with the service. And so I don't want it to be Oglesby Capital where people are buying into me. I want them to buy into the product. And that's one thing I found is when I took my face off of my company Instagram, the Instagram started to to blow up. And that's one of the things I learned in working with the business owner at Watts is I always thought like business is like a job where people, if a lot of people like you, then a lot of people are going to give you money. But it's not about that. It's about your product. If a lot of people like your product, they're going to give you money. And it's a lot easier to market a faceless, nameless product than it is to market yourself because they might not like where your nose looks. They might not like whatever. Exactly. But the, a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, the way you get rich is by creating products people love, not by creating a name and a face and a personality that they love. I think that's what I wanted to focus on is separating myself from the product and just strictly marketing the product. Wow. That's dope. <laughs> That's, man, you got you got so much game to be like so young for real. Like you you get you got you got, you got a lot of game. I know you could you could go on, on all all day long. But uh we're gonna get ready to wrap up in a second. And I just wanted to like really say I really appreciate all you doing, bro. Like like I, I definitely like want you to keep it up because you, you you putting a lot of people on good information, man. You helping you helping change a lot of people's lives and putting all these gems out here. So I we definitely appreciate you, mm-hmm. man. Like for real. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, man. And uh, oh, if you could, if you could say one thing, because people hit me up all the time. They always message me, and they like, man, I want to get started in real estate. I'm working this job right now. Like, I want to uh, start investing. I want to start uh, getting to stocks, real estate, start my own business. Like, uh, what, what, like, what, what should I do? Like, any tips? Like, how can I get started in investing? Blah blah blah. I always say like. Just get, I just say, just get started. Like, do research and get started. But what would you say to those people? I get that question. Um, the answer that I tell them is get a partner. Mm. And why is that? Um, there's this quote that it says that if there's something that you want, but you don't have it, 
you might be missing a partner. And one thing that I found, because I, I wanted to get into real estate by myself as well. My goal was like, I got to get my credit this, I got to get my savings up, I got to get all this stuff. And what you don't realize is, well, not you, you, you realize this, but what <laughs> a lot of listeners don't realize this is the person that they want you to become in order to get into real estate or to get into trucking or to get into business is usually the person that you don't become until after you get into real estate mm-hmm. and after you get into business and after you get into trucking. And so there's this hurdle and you break that hurdle with teamwork. And one of the things I realized when I was working in banking, banking is so dope because it allows you to get under the hood of people's finances. If you don't work in banking, you just see what they got on and you just make assumptions. When you work in banking, you literally see what they're doing. You can look under the hood and see what their checking accounts and their savings accounts and their investment accounts and their credit card accounts and all that stuff looks like. And one thing I realized is the people that were doing really well were connected. And so you would see the Asians come in and all their accounts would be connected. Mother, father, son, brother, all connected. They're not individuals. Or you look in, you see um, Middle Eastern people, all connected. Jewish people, all connected. The thing we're missing is teamwork. The thing we're missing is partnering up. The thing we're missing is not thinking that we have to be all things to, to everybody. It's an employee mindset. It's a job mindset. And I wish I had the quote. I was just reading this book yesterday. It's called Why A Students Work for C Students. And he was talking about as an employee, you have to be the most educated person. If you're going to get paid, it's based on your skill set. Mm-hmm. Either you know it or you don't. If you don't, you're not getting paid for it. If you do, then you are getting paid for it. As a business owner and investor, it's your job to be the synergistic glue to keep things together. It's just your job to just get the pieces together. Like you don't, it's not your job to be the contractor, to be the, to do the demo, to do the marketing. It's your job to create opportunity for everybody else to win. And it's kind of like the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors win because they're a great team, yep. not because they have the best player. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have. To, like we don't all need to be LeBron. We just got to be Clay. Yep. We just need a Clay Thompson who can strictly hit the three-pointer, and that's all he does is hit a three-pointer. We need Steph, who can do what he does. We need Katie, who can do what he does. When you work as a team, it allows people who aren't even as good to still get a chip. Like, you got Draymond Green. He is not <laughs> a very good player. That's, that's deep. Every year. And that's what we need, because everybody's not going to be you. Everybody's not going to be me. But if they're on the team, they get to get the chip. And so for me... Getting started for sure. And that's 100% I believe in that 100%. You got to get started because a lot of people want their first deal to make them rich. Mm-hmm. And the first deal is just going to give them the experience to get rich. And a lot of people are like, they don't want to make any mistakes. And the mistakes are going to guide you to where you want to go. So getting started 100%, mm-hmm. you have to get started. But if you're having a hard time getting started, you might need a partner because the experience with a partner is the same experience. You're still going to get the knowledge. And the knowledge and the experience is what's going to make you rich. The first deal just gives you the knowledge and the experience. And you apply that to all the deals going forward. You take different risks. You take on bigger projects. But if you never get started, you're never going to win. But a lot of us are lacking because we're trying to be GDIs. Mm, that's deep, so man. That's my answer. <laughs> that's so deep. And and would you, because you, you married, right? Yes. So, so do you think being married helps you understand that concept more? I would say being married changed my life because it honed my focus. Mm. I always tell people, I put up this quote, this tweet. I was like, if 
every time you stop to chase a bad beat, you could be setting yourself back like six months on your goals. Facts. Because you got you got to relearn her. Yep. You got to court her. You got to deal with her emotions. You got to do all that. Me and my wife, it's on autopilot. I know what she needs. If she's if she has an attitude in the morning, she needs some food. You don't get some food. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, <laughs> like, I, I feel like I feel like the most crazy thing about it, and I don't know why it is. And I don't really like to really even go down that path. But I always tell people, like, the first thing they did when they took people off the ship is they broke up the family. Yep. And they sent him, her, him there, her there, because there's power in your unity. My favorite scripture, and one of the scriptures I think I'm going to try to incorporate into the business, is where two or more agree or where two or more are gathered together, there I am. And mm. there's certain power that comes when you connect with somebody. There's certain power that comes when you partner with somebody. It's like when you two plus two in business isn't or one plus one in business isn't two. One plus one in business is like three or four or five or six. And so a lot of people they're trying to just be one. When you get married, it creates like a lot of benefits. People look at you differently. People give you more respect as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, more opportunities come to you. You get more focused. You get more driven. You get more determined because it's kind of like having a child. I don't have any children, but when you have children, you have to become a bigger person. When you're yourself, you get to stay small. Marriage requires you to become a bigger person because at that point, you're trying to provide for another person. There's this book. I reference a lot of books, but <laughs> there's a book called The Triple Package. Mm-hmm. And The Triple Package, I was trying to find a quote so I could put it on Instagram, but it talks about how the Mormon community has men who do extremely well in like professional C-suite, high-level careers because their wives don't work. And so the man has to become a bigger person. And so if you have a wife that doesn't work, right? And a m- another man has a wife that does work, he can make 50, 60. The guy who doesn't have a wife or the guy who has a wife that doesn't work has to make 200, which means he's working longer, which means he's reading more, which means he's doing all these extra things. And so it makes you a better person, but you're competing against people who don't have to be better people. And mm-hmm. so marriage, I wish I could like, break it down i think it's 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 definitely a hack but it's not easy you have to learn a lot about yourself you have to give a lot of yourself but one thing i've even found in doing that is even as you give you grow so it's like if you are taking care of somebody else's needs putting their needs first it allows you to really reevaluate what you should be doing like we just bought my wife a car and i'm still driving my car but it allows you to really reevaluate like what's really important is a car important for me, not really, but we do need to make sure that she has a good car. Right. And so it's it's a mindset shift because a lot of us have parents who they got separated and a lot of men grow to be very selfish people because if you have to pay child support, you're taking care of multiple homes. Like as soon as you don't have that obligation, you don't want to do anything. So a lot of men, they, they they're just turn 18 and they cut it off. Like as it, but I find that the men who do provide for their children tend to be kept, be more financially successful as well. So it's like running to the obligation instead of running away from the obligation, running to the, 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 the sacrifice instead of running away from the sacrifice. And we've seen it on my show multiple times. If you see very successful people, they're likely married. And that's another thing that I researched. Yep, I, I did too. All the time. I was like, <laughs> right. I was like, huh, there's not a lot of very highly successful single people out here. Like, even Donald Trump, for all his failed marriages, he makes sure he stays married. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
it's difficult to be successful chasing everything walking because you log on Instagram and it's just like all in your face. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, it's a lot of power in marriage because one thing, and this is, this, this is it's kind of a weird statement to make, but like when I see something like that, I just unfollow it. Like I don't even want, I don't need to see you naked on my Instagram. Even if I know you personally, I don't need to see you naked on my Instagram, but like single me, We've been double tapped, comments and emojis, sending DMs, but you don't realize how much energy and effort that takes. You're right. That is effort that could be applied to your business. That's mm-hmm. effort that could be applied to your professional career. But you're over here spending it, chasing down something you're probably not even going to get. And if you do get it, it's, it's probably not even worth it. Her attitude probably sucks. And yep. so that's wasted time and effort. And we need more men to just commit to one build with one so they can also focus on building their professional career and their business. And I think that would take us further than determining your worth based on how many women that you can get. Oh man, that's that's super deep. I, 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 like I, that. I, I know you like that. They they uh people gonna definitely love to hear that and people need to hear that. Cause I, I agree a hundred percent. I feel like cause me and my girl, like I, I tweeted yesterday, we came into our relationship with nothing. Everything we built, we built together. So it's like I really understand the value of having someone with you and like working together, having the same the same goal, the same end goal. So I definitely, I'm, I'm, I'm with you 100 percent on that. So that's why I had to ask you. I'm like, right. if if it like gives me an advantage, I feel. <laughs> I definitely feel that, but uh, right, it really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, but we are gonna get ready and wrap up. This this been a nice a, a night, man. This this been <laughs> like it's been it's been a lot. Of, I'm I'm gonna have to listen to this one again. Like as soon as we get off, man. I like I I really liked what you, what you was talking about, man. It, it's it's very inspiring. And you just really just inspired me on, on this morning, man. I definitely appreciate you. But uh for those who want to get in touch with get in touch with you, where can they uh find you? Like social medias and all that stuff. So we have a lot of products, so <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta think through this. I would say start with the Thai Capital Investment Club. Okay. Um you can find that at www.capitaltie.com. Um we also um, pretty much everything is on the website and we're going to revamp that website make it way more dope it's going to be awesome once we get it to where it needs to go um, you can find me on Instagram at Top Millionaire on Twitter at Top Millionaire on Facebook it's Charles L. Oglesby the third JD um, also on LinkedIn same thing as Facebook uh, that's pretty much it on Snapchat I'm Top Millionaire I don't really use Snapchat that much yeah. it's strictly like Facebook Twitter Instagram stuff yeah but check us out. Also, uh, the podcast, Ty Capital Man Air Podcast. You can find it on Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And that's pretty much it. Yep, man. We 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 definitely appreciate you for coming through. And we and and, and if it's anything you ever need, like if you want to you want you if you want to work on anything, if you need anything, feel free to hit us up any anytime, whenever, man. Because I love working with people like you, like minded people. Because like you said, we got to keep working together as, as opposed to everybody trying to do their own thing. Like, even though you got your own platform, it's dope that I got my own platform. I bring you on mines and I bring other people on mines. Like, it, we don't have to compete. Like, we like we all trying to help and, and, and uplift each other together. So it's like, that's 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 the goal to me. One hundred percent. Yes, sir. I um, I have a friend named Tamaris Payton. He runs HBCU Wall Street. He put out this this post about collaborating and not competing. And I was like, man, you collaborate and the sky's the limit. He said he's starting to believe that when you collaborate, that it's actually the sky is higher than the limit or the limit is higher than the sky. Mm-hmm. So it's like 
we are really doing ourselves a disservice by being individuals. So, any right, anything that I can do, I'm always down to promote mm-hmm. somebody's product, somebody's business, somebody's anything. That's how I got connected to Andre Hatchet is just by promoting his book because his book had a message that I agreed with. I forgot what the book was. It might have been the owner. The owner beyond. Okay. So I mean, right. So have you guys had him on your on your show yet? Yeah, I, I've I've had him, but I haven't uh, I haven't released it yet. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. I yeah, got it. I yeah, got it. Yeah. So yeah, anything, anything I could do, anything you want to merge with, talk about, I'm definitely here for it. Yeah, definitely, man. I appreciate that. I'm be, I'm gonna be uh, keeping in touch with you as well. All right. Yeah, all right. Appreciate you, you, bro. All right. Thank you, guys. Yes, sir. Uh, all right, guys. That was another episode of the Million Up Mindsets with Charles Oglesby. Uh, like he said, if you guys want to reach out to him, you can hit him up on Top, Top Millionaire on Twitter, Instagram, or he goes to his website at CapitalTop.com. We appreciate you guys for listening. Don't forget to like, share, uh, subscribe, and rate our podcast. And uh, if you you can reach me on Instagram at Xavier C. Miller. For those who don't know, my Twitter is XEM Park Hill. And what, what else I got? Snapchat at uh, XavierMiller312. And you let them know your info. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Deanna Kent. Twitter is Deanna S. Kent. And you can um, make sure you subscribe to the Millionaire Mindsets daily text subscription by texting at M Mindsets to 81010. Again, that's the at sign M Mindsets to 81010. And that's all we have for you guys. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Millionaire Mindsets Podcast. See you guys next episode. Peace. On the way. To the big check, you ain't know I'm up next till I'm on the way. You ain't take a risk cause you too afraid. I'ma just eat till I'm overweight. On the way. Oh, a lot of shit on the way. On the way.